Welcome to Crime Time. You're listening to Leonetti's Detection Selection. Welcome back to Crime Time, a podcast discussing all things mystery, thriller, sci-fi, horror, and crime fiction. I'm Lee. I'm Eddie. This is season four, episode six. What? That's a whole lot. It's a whole lot. Hey, Eddie, guess what? We're actually approaching our hundredth episode. What? I know. Um, yeah. Isn't that wacky? I'm, I'm genuinely shocked. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a real ride. Yeah. Yeah. And on the 100th episode, we're going to sacrifice a turkey. <laughs> a f- you mean a faux turkey? A, a, a tofurkey. <laughs> Have you ever had a tofu, or not tofu, but a like a vegetable turkey? No, I don't think they sell them in Australia, do No, they? I've had one. They're absolutely delicious. Amazing. I'm going to make you one. Whoa. Like tomorrow. Well, uh, shout out to the US where they, you know, kind of invented turkey. I don't think I've ever eaten turkey. I have. Yeah. And it's much like a chicken, but bigger and grosser looking in the face. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just holding out for like the turducken or like, you know, where it's yeah, like, yeah. A, a, like a fucking chicken stuffed in a duck, stuffed in a turkey. <laughs> I hear it's really dry. <laughs> like that's like the ultimate like food that like a suburban dad makes. Once I made a meatloaf and it was a meatloaf with boiled eggs inside wrapped in bacon. So you cut into it. It was quite a masterpiece. Yeah. But but I digress. <laughs> that you dang well do. <laughs> we haven't even introduced the episode today. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so, so episode six, season four, what are we talking today? So we're talking about Umberto Eco's Name of the Rose, a classic. A classic. A modern classic. You took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Meatloaf. Oh, meatloaf. Did you see what I did just there? Yes. That was magical. That was great. That was magical. But uh, I'm not going to be kissing you. Deal. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Shake on that. (laughs) A nice polite nod. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Anyway, anyway, go on. We're going to be talking about Severance by Ling Ma. Obsessed. Ooh, I'm ready. And our talking topic for today, everybody's dying to know. I mean, everyone's sitting there, they're in suspense. They're like in the middle of like watering their plants. The like hose is just like on the one plant. They're just like, I'm going to keep drowning this plant until Eddie tells me. (laughs) Get on with it, Eddie. Get on with it. (laughs) This week, we're talking about, do books owe us something? You know, when we pick up a book, are we owed something? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a bit philosophical. No, yeah. But we'll get into it. We'll do a deep dive. Whew. I'm afraid. Well, sit back, y'all. We're going places. The name of the rose. So, the past few episodes, I've been talking a little bit about gothic fiction. I've actually really enjoyed it. Have you? It's not something I know much about, but... Yeah. Well, it was, um, Walpole. Horace Walpole. Grandfather of gothic fiction. Yeah. Loved it. Gay father. Love it. Ideal. Best two combinations. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so this is by Umberto Eco, who is Italian, mm-hmm. right? So it's originally written in Italian. I'm reading a translation. He's a very famous writer. He is. And he's also a semiotician. What's up? Let me Google it real quick because uh, this would be the moment where I embarrass myself on the internet. <laughs> okay, semiotician. Is that right? Yeah. So semiotics is the study of meaning making, the study of sign process and meaningful communication. So lots of Gothic fiction Mm. used the Italian as this kind of foreigner. We talked about this last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's this like foreign location, these like hot blooded Italians who are all about... 
you know, ghosts and shit. Yeah. So it's like this, like, real, like, you know, Shakespearean racism, you know. Mm. Not that they didn't have other types of racism, but, um, you know, it's a particular one. Yeah. Basically, Umberto Eco in, like, the 70s or 80s, I'm not going to check. Look at me flying by the seat of my pants. He writes this book, which he says at the start of the book he found in a French manuscript that was translated from the original Latin by an Italian monk. <laughs> But Horace has already done this. Right, right, right. He's so already he's... played this card. <laughs> but so he's like, oh, oh, Horace, how are you doing? Was he doing like a a, a a wink to Horace Walpole? Well, I would say it's like, it's definitely a wink. It's a hat tip. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's, it's an homage. It's a uh, finger. Finger gun. A finger gun. Yeah. It's finger guns. Hey, Horace. <laughs> but at the same time, it's also like, so I heard you were talking shit. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, here he is. He's an Italian author. And there's been this, like, entire genre devoted to being, like, the Italians are crazy. Right? Right. Like, all of their, like, monks are perverts. And he would have grown up reading this material, right? Yeah. And then now he's come to a time where he's going to write these books. Yeah. Okay, cool. So he's, like, an academic. Yeah. So he's, like, you know, he's doing this on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. He's being a shithead. Mm -hmm. Um, So then we cut to... Uh, the actual manuscript, mm-hmm. which is told by Adzo. Um, and Adzo is like, he's like an old guy monk. He's like nearing the end of his life. And he's like, let me tell you about this one thing that happened, you know, when I was 16. I, anyway, yes. Yeah. We can go into another right. time, but I love this plot line. Anyway, it, go it's on. such a great, it's like yeah. a time tested kind of a thing. It's like this one summer, you know what I'm saying? It's like, do you know Julian Barnes? He wrote A Sense of an Ending. Oh, I don't, I don't know it. I found this book called A Sense of an Ending in a... I was, like, in a, like a, a night market in Hong Kong. Okay. And I found this book, and I was like, oh, this looks really cool. And I read it. And it's like, you know when you read something that's just, like, oh, delicious. You just read yep. it so quickly. It's just, like, hitting the it, spot. Oh, it's so good. And it's he, his stories are always, like, very depressing. But yep. it's like, this is what happened to me when I was young. Yeah, yeah, And now yeah. I'm now. And the, you know how the... the the meaning is usually like, oh, but you get on with life. But in his yeah. stories, I feel like the point is often this thing that happened when I was young just wrecked my whole life. <laughs> and I the never end. got over it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I kind of think that that is the situation here. Okay. Like, I don't think Adzo's over anything. Mm-hmm. So he's there. He's a Benedictine monk okay. in the, I'm going to say 14th century, maybe 13th. I'm, you know, a little bit fuzzy on this shit. Fair. A while ago. A while ago. Yeah. Like some medieval type time. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, with his mentor, who is a Franciscan monk, mm-hmm. and his name is William of Baskervilles. Mm-hmm. Now, first thing I got to say about this is William of Baskervilles is straight up Sherlock Holmes. Okay, like we're talking the Hound of the Baskervilles before Sherlock Holmes. No, no, no. So the Hound of the Baskervilles is a Sherlock Holmes book. Okay, right. So he's called William Baskervilles. Like, mm-hmm. and he like does all of this like deductive reasoning, like mm-hmm. how Sherlock Holmes does, mm-hmm. and you're like, uh huh, okay, cool. Which is a great plot device because it means that he can do all of the kind of exposition that he wants and it like fits with the theme of the book there's just so many threads right yeah it's like the most effort you can go to to be really lazy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then adzo if you put a w and an n on that what does it say dawson no, no, no. wadson <laughs> i don't know how you got there that but you exactly got the same word wadson dawson If I change the letters around. Yeah, if you... (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I said to do. Where's the lie? (laughs) Well, it looks like I got (laughs) semiotics. 
Um, no, so it's like he's Watson. You okay, know what I'm yeah, see what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. So they show up at this abbey. There's been a murder. Yeah. Right? And they're like, oh, dang, a murder. Mm. So they're like, William of Baskervilles, you're like really good at deduction and stuff. And you used to be in the Inquisition. And, uh, Adzo's like, I didn't know you were in the Inquisition. I didn't expect that. William Baskerville's like, no one expects the Inquisition. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just keeps going from there. There's this mysterious library that's all locked up. People keep, like, dropping left, right, and center. And then because it's, like, this big abbey full of monks, they're all like, oh, it's the apocalypse. You know what I mean? Whoa. Like, they're there, like, it's probably the apocalypse. And so they're there ostensibly to debate the poverty of Christ. Wow. So it's like the Franciscans versus the Pope. The Pope's uh, people are coming to this abbey. It's like neutral ground. All the Franciscans are coming to the abbey and they're going to debate whether or not Christ lived in pro- poverty, owned this, property. This is just so extra. Right? It's yeah. so extra. But then at the same time, there's this murder mystery going on. It feels very cinematic. It, yes. And there is a film. Okay, I assumed. There is a film. It's got, um, so Adzo the Kid is played by, you know, Heathers? Yes. So the guy in Heathers, who's like, you know, the creep, uh, who's my like... My sister loved him so much. <laughs> oh, Christian Slater. Christian Slater. Yeah. So it's Christian Slater mm-hmm. as like, you know, a 16 year old, but he's got that like bald top, like a monk. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like awful. <laughs> and, um, William of Baskervilles is played by Sean Connery. Brilliant. Right. So you're just like, hello, this is ideal. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just got all of the things you'd expect in a Gothic fiction. Mm. I'm not going to tell you which one of the particular tropes it is. Like, I think there's two kind of big things that you get in the Gothic. There's the, it's supernatural and it's genuinely the devil. And then there's the explained supernatural where it's like, oh, there's a ghost, but it turns out actually it's not a ghost. It's a trapdoor with a bunch of bandits nicking things, you know, like Scooby-Doo. Yeah, it's Scooby-Doo, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so one is the devil and one is Scooby-Doo. Well, one is the exorcist and oh, one is Scooby-Doo, right? That's brilliant. Yeah. I need to read some of this. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't say like, you know, obviously the particular type of writing is uh, very dated. Wafty? Look, I would just say it's very... Uh, Lofty. Wordy. (laughs) Floral. Florid. Florid. (laughs) No, that sounds awesome. So you read it this week. Um, So I've actually been reading it for uni. Um, and we've been reading it in installments. It's a long-term kind of relationship. It's a long-term relationship. Yeah. Me, yeah. me and the name of the rose. So it's written in seven days. So each day... Is Biblical. Divi- yeah, exactly, exactly. And each day is divided into, like, the prayer times and the times that they, like, you know, eat and that kind of thing. Um, so it's, like, Lord's, Matins, Compline, like, all of that kind of stuff. And so we've been reading one day every week. Wow. And uh, I'm not actually meant to be finished, I won't lie. I got drunk the other week and I read the whole thing. I'm just going to read ahead. <laughs> just going to read ahead. Is- and then I was like, well, I've started. That is the nerdiest thing <laughs> you've said to date. <laughs> As we approach the hundredth episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it can get much nerdier than that, to be honest. So how many Scooby snacks would you give it out of five? <laughs> so first of all, I want to say if you've read Gothic fiction, it's a romp. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's really obvious that Echo is a semiotician mm-hmm. and he, you know, he loves talking about it. 
which is like great like I'm into that but so he's got this William of Baskerville's character and all of these like very scholarly monks so that they can have all of these arguments over what words mean yeah so it's a bit heavy-handed in that he's like let me teach you about semiotics I kind of love that I kind of love when people just put in three different voices that are just probably their own thoughts yeah. and then they can debate it yeah, yeah 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 fully but yeah I mean I would give it four Scooby snacks that's out a, of five that's a lot of Scooby snacks yeah 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 Okay, so last week we talked about how we've made it to season four. Yes. And we've decided to shake things up a bit. Yeah, we're going to have sponsors. We're going to have sponsors. And we promised you, and we're sticking to that promise, that we're only going to recommend things that we ourselves love and use. So, Book Depository. Boy, do I love books. And, uh, well, I'm not that great on deposits, but... um, (laughs) Books. No, but yeah, do you buy from Book Depository? You know what? I really do and I should stop. I really do too. It's a UK online company. They have millions of books. You can just buy them online and there's usually like five or six books and it's all the same book and you can just choose the cheapest price. Or you choose the one with the prettiest cover. And I think often they've got books that you won't necessarily be able to find at your local secondhand bookshop. Uh, There's a link on our website. So if you go through that link via our website, you can just support us by buying through that link. It takes you to the book depository site. It's cheap, it's easy, and it's free delivery worldwide. Amazing. So if you want to support us, support Book Depository through the link on our website at crimetimepod.com. You know, let's let's think about it. Severance. Ling Ma. Okay, Eddie, Severance. A deeply unsettling, nostalgic, apocalyptic masterpiece. Whoa. That spoke deep into my millennial heart. Oh my goodness. Do you need surgery? <laughs> <laughs> I can't get it out. <laughs> You're like, oh god. <laughs> Okay, so it's a deeply emotional, like, apocalyptic novel set in, uh, set over two time spans. So we're, we're pre and we're post-apocalypse. Okay. It's written from the perspective of Candace, hardworking millennial, working at a book production company. Okay, right. Okay, and then Shen Fever starts hitting New York City. Alright, what is Shen Fever? I guess this is a zombie kind of metaphor novel. Right, so right. So people develop Shen Fever and, you know, I thought it was going to be just, like, rabid zombies. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. it's not. It's like, as I said, it's, like, so deeply drenched in nostalgia people get this this shen fever and then they kind of like turn into zombies instead of being like mad running eating Mm -hmm, flesh mm -hmm. devouring corpse monsters corpse monsters they just keep repeating activities that they're really familiar with oh yeah but once you got the shen fever there's no real coming back from it wow so for example if that was me it i'd just be rearranging my bookshelves forever forever wow yeah that's not ideal yeah So you have the story of Candace joining up with a group of survivors Uh post-apocalypse and you've got her in the days, weeks, months leading up to the apocalypse. Okay, whoa, whoa. And there's just so much going on. It's it's beautifully written. Uh It's such an intense comment on the greed and the destructive power of capitalism. Oh, uh, it's such... Which is the real uh, horror, yes. let's be honest. And Ling Ma just like, oh, I don't know, she she made me see things in a way that, you know, these aren't ideas that I have not thought about. Yeah, sure, sure, But sure. she introduced them and took me through them in a way that felt like I was there in the moment. Right, right. But it, was, it was painful to read at times. Yeah. And you know those times when you're reading and you stop, well, you have to stop and you're just like, Gotta take a breath. Yeah. So it's like Ling Ma took you to your own back garden. Yeah. Walked you around it. And then you arrived somewhere you'd never been before. And we're just like, 
what? And then she was like, bye, Lynn. You just <laughs> left there. Exactly. Like my childhood garden. Oh my gosh. And also, there's just so many things going on in this book. Such a deep uh, comment on, I guess, longing and external and internal pressures of immigrant children. Yeah, yeah. Living in, I guess, in two places at one time. Yeah, fully. I highly recommend. Like, if we could go higher than a five, I would. Do it. I'm going to go six. Whoa. I did it. Whew. Amazing. It's it's almost like a um a joyride, an apocalyptic, nostalgic, drenched, heart wrenching, eye opening joyride. Sounds amazing. <gasps> wow, Ling Ma. Yeah. Dang. Sounds brutal. Yeah. I can't wait to have this same experience. This sounds horrible. I'm just like into it. I want to sit down. I want to open that book, and I want it to I don't know tear my heart out. Mm. Sounds great. Mm. Ideal. Lingma Severance, check it out. So would you say it's like Scooby-Doo, like at the end they're like, they pull the head off the ghost and it's capitalism. And they're like, ah, it was you the whole time, capitalism. Capitalism's like, I would have gotten away with it too. <laughs> uh, once you read that book, you're going to, you're going to be like, how did you hit that nail on that <laughs> head? <laughs> We're getting down to the nitty gritty. Yeah. The, the nuts and bolts, the, the tax what's that saying the 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 brass tax oh the brass tax yeah yeah so when you pick up a book mm-hmm. pick picture this you're you're in a library you may or may not be Belle from Beauty and the Beast um <laughs> in that yellow dress in, in, yeah, yeah yeah um oh no 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 yeah in the, yeah, 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 in the blue dress in the blue sorry dress. my in the bad blue dress, yeah, right yeah you could also be guest on there's multiple ways to approach reading <laughs> and you pick up a book and and you say to yourself what's gonna happen now for me, the thing that I feel like has to happen mm. is there's a promise mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of want either that that promise be fulfilled or that it be, be broken so perfectly that I feel kind of like it got fulfilled. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I guess my even going back further than that is why do you pick up that book? What is it about a book that means you'll pick it up? Is it because you've heard about it? Yeah. Or you like that writer? Yeah. Or yeah. you're looking for something in particular? Yeah. Why Yeah. Why do you pick Fully. up a book? And I think it, it's really interesting because obviously, you know, here at Crime Time, we talk about genre fiction, which historically is not a very well-respected sort of a type of literature. Can I tell you, I didn't know that until we started doing this show. Oh, for real? Because I was raised on crime fiction. Mm. Like, I'd never heard the term genre fiction. Yeah, it's like almost a bit of a put down. Yeah, like a, a what's that word when you like screw up your nose? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People are snooty about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's like Cormac McCarthy, right? Yeah. He writes what is essentially genre fiction, but because it's Cormac McCarthy and he didn't use commas, oh, it's literary. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But like, I'm like, well, as genre fiction doesn't work, Cormac, go away. That ending of the road was bad. I read in the Guardian the other day that crime fiction, the biggest selling category of books that is wow Mm. so people are reading so these are important books yeah fully and i think it's this this kind of intellectual snobbery that says oh if other people like it if enough people like it it's too mainstream and and so it's like oh the opiate of the masses or something and i'm like you know what shut up marx no i'm not kidding i love you marx (laughs) (laughs) oh mate you believe in ghosts i'm just saying the specter of marx no i I love you i'm sorry Yeah, so I think that there's this kind of thing where it's like, oh, you know, it's mainstream, people like it, so I, I think it's dumb. And I'm like, you know what else is mainstream? Water. 
I'm so addicted to water. I literally must have it or I'll die. You know what I'm saying? I'll simply die. (laughs) So tell me, why do you pick up a book? So for me, it really depends on the type of the book. If it's crime fiction, I pick it up to be entertained. Mm -hmm. I pick it up to be confused, but to eventually be uh, resolved. I guess that brings us to a question. Does the book owe you that resolution? Okay, so my initial instinct is just to yell, yes. Yes. 100%. But then the massive, like, uh, nerdy literary scholar in me is like, well, no. You know what I'm saying? Pushes the (laughs) glasses up the nose, right? (laughs) Well, I think you'll find it's more complicated. You know what I'm saying? I I feel you. I feel like my instinct just says... my instinct is to say yes, but I think then I reverse that and I think, no, I'm promised an entertainment of sorts. Yeah. I'm, I'm promised like a ride. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, you can get on a roller coaster and feel like, oh, it was a bit crap, but you were still on a roller coaster. Yeah. I don't know. What, what does a book owe you? I, I, this, is such a, this is such a problem for me. It probably owes you nothing. Well, I gotta say, some books I've bought owe me like ten bucks because uh, <laughs> not the ones we review on here because we only bring ones that we're like, you guys should read them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like, oh boy! <laughs> what book, dear listeners, have you read that you thought, oh wow, this really came through in so many more ways than I had anticipated? I have one. Okay, and tell it's me. Such a weird, obscure. Not like it's not. A, You're not like oh, you wouldn't know it. It's no, a bit, it's, it's a bit. Obscure. It's really popular, right? Right. But it's Rosemary's Baby. Right. Okay. So tell me, what did Rosemary's Baby do? It just took me somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's all I think I expect in a book. Okay. But this is interesting because we've talked about Rosemary's Baby a lot on this podcast mm-hmm. because, you know, we're, we're big we're big fans of um, Old Mate Levin. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're like, hey, Ira, what you up to? He's like, I'm a ghost. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Yeah. Anyway, point being... You've talked a lot about the sequel yes. to Rosemary's Baby, yes. which is called... Oh, I can't remember, but I was sorely disappointed. And that's probably why I can't remember. Right? You're like, <laughs> I've blocked it from my memory. It's over. And, and, and I wonder, what is it that... Is it Rosemary's Child? Well, I just can't remember. Bride of Rosemary. <laughs> the mystery of Rosemary House. I think that's what it was called. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when you picked up the mystery of Rosemary House, um, what did you feel you were promised that you weren't given? This is what the sequel did. Rosemary's House, a.k.a. slash can't remember the name. Yeah. You know, when someone says something to you that they seriously mean and you mm-hmm. know they mean it and then they go, just joking. Right, right, right. Like when I'm like, oh, this an, that's, that's a nice hat. Just joking. Yeah. You hurt my feelings. Just kidding. <laughs> and that's exactly what I felt like the sequel did. Right. Yeah. So for those who don't know, the, the sequel to Rosemary's Baby picks up where Rosemary's Baby left off uh, in the most terrible way possible. The sequel just disappoints. Yeah. Just yeah. bam, bam, bam. Yeah. I'm not going to ruin it because some people might love it. Like my mum like, sent right. me a message and was like, your podcast is wrong. I really enjoyed this book. <laughs> oh, dang. So I don't want to ruin it for everyone because well, go out and read it and tell me what you think. Um, tweet us at Crime Time Pod. Yeah. Can I just say I haven't read it? So Janice, if you're listening, that's Lee's opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that there is this thing where if you pick up a book by a particular author, you feel like you're promised that author's style and the things that that author's done before which is why a lot of authors will write under a different name when they change genre true um which i I think is really interesting when authors don't do that i can't think of any oh um i don't really like to talk about her but jk rowling 
Oh, right. So J.K. Rowling released a series of books under a different name. Yes. Robert Galbraith. Mm. Galbraith? I don't know. Ah, who cares? Um, but she also released a, another book under J.K. Rowling, which was for adults. And I think that it's interesting because I picked up the J.K. Rowling one. Mm. And I, I just wasn't that interested. I, I put it down, I won't lie. It's interesting that even though she released a book under a different name, people still knew it was her. I mean, we saw Stephen King do this mm, back in the mm, day where mm. he released books under yep. a new name. Yep. John Wyndham used to do it as well. But he was like a trash writer. He'd be like, ah, some more filth. What other name can I use? John Benyon. His name was literally like John Benyon Wyndham. And he'd just be like, Jack Wyndham. <laughs> Jack Benyon. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> I don't think this is a question we're going to solve today. No, no. But here's a question I want to put out to our listeners. What promises do you feel like a book gives you when when you pick it up? And, and, And when a book doesn't fulfill that promise, is that why we say it's bad? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. I think there are some books that I think are perfectly well written, but I just couldn't deal with the ending or I couldn't deal with things that happened in them. And I was just like, no, 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 no. Didn't like it. So tell me your deal breakers. Yep. Do it. Tweet us in Crime Pod. Tell us your deal breakers. Bam. And that is all we have time for today. Yeah, that's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> This has been episode six, season four. I am Lee. That guy over there is Eddie. This is Crime Time Podcast. We will see you next week. Bam. <laughs>